Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going on an adventure today that will be better than Disneyland, and I'm so excited for this show. Actually, it's just Patty Wyatt today because Lisa is in Vienna. She is on a... Uh, amazing, an amazing adventure doing a prayer conference this week. And we are going to um, talk a little bit about leadership as well as a, a great book that has just come out from my dear friend, Kim Mishler. And I have to tell you a little bit about Kim. So I've known Kim for over 20 years now, and I actually went to college with her um, absolutely fabulous husband. And so before I even met Kim, I was finding out all kinds of wonderful things about her through her husband, um, Joel, because he would tell me how, um, Kim, you guys would stay up till two, three in the morning talking. And as he was falling in love with you, I got to go on this adventure with him and hear about your journey as you slowly were coming alongside him in life. And I'll just say a little bit about you. You were born and raised in Kentucky. Right. You're a blogger, a speaker, a photographer, and you, my friend, are one of the funniest people that I know. <laughs> You're passionate about the value of human life, and you have been an amazing advocate for adoption and client coach at a pregnancy resource center for several, several years. And you have three children, and you run a baseball academy for youth, which by the way, I, I keep seeing all the, the snippets going on with, with that. And uh, right now you're living in northern Indiana. I've come to visit you a few times. And every time I go there, I'm always in awe because you're right next to um, the whole Amish community. And that brings up several questions in my mind every time I'm there. And at one point, I'll never forget um, Lisa and I were there and we were driving behind a guy in a horse and buggy and he had um, a speedboat connected to the horse and buggy and finally Lisa was like okay enough already like this does not make sense please explain what is going on here and uh, Joel just said you know what Lisa you, you need to stop you just have to stop trying to figure it out and I'll never forget that because she was just befuddled like she could not she kept asking 5,000 questions and uh, it was you probably don't even remember that but it has always stayed clear in my mind. So welcome, Kim, with that um, crazy introduction just now. How are you? I am great. Thanks for the uh, big intro there. My my claim to fame in Amish town is always uh, is always the the thing, you know. So <laughs> that's your thing. I guess. <laughs> I don't know about that speedboat, though. That's kind of strange. <laughs> you haven't seen that yet? Oh, yeah. I've seen, I've seen that. You betcha. 
<laughs> well, I just remember Joel and I, um, you know, way back when, when you guys first moved into your house, he had a phone put into the garage. And I was like, wait, why, why would you put a phone into your garage? And he goes, because we just have so many people that come and use it. It's kind of disruptive at times. So we'll just put one in the garage. Yep, we had one in the barn. Actually, had a bar- we had a phone in our barn, just to make it convenient for the community to come. Yes. <laughs> to yes. come to the phone. Yeah. So because they they can't really have one in their home. No, they cannot. Yeah. Okay. Which makes sense. I guess to use the one in the barn. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's where you want to go to be on the phone, right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I. I am truly like so intrigued with the Amish culture. I, I think it's amazing. And I love I love the fact that it's not like they have this um you know, the statistics show that they they stay Amish, right? It's not like they're running off. Um, for the most part. There is some of that that happens. Um yeah, it happens sometimes. For the most part, they do. You know, it's it's been it's been really good to raise our family in an Amish community, and um, we've worked closely beside the Amish. We've had them as our neighbors, and and you know, they're just really good people. Really, uh, very very calm, very peaceful. Um, they love to get together. They they work really hard. If you have, a, I remember we had a little tornado that came through once, and it took down all the barns of our neighbors. Like I think there was three barns that were flattened. And I mean, within two weeks, those barns were up again. Wow. So they're very hardworking and and very devoted and very dedicated people. So it's good to live by them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your book. So two years ago, you and your hubby, Joel, were were here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. And we went out uh, for lunch. And as we were sitting there, you started telling me all about, first of all, I I have to stop my story because I want to take full credit for your book because (laughs) I have been telling you to write a book now for the last decade because you're so funny. And I actually, I wanted you to start blogging for our, our radio show. And so I just want you to know, I probably should get a percentage <laughs> of all, you know, some type of proceeds should go to yep. me. So well, anyway, two well, years ago, money, I'll consider that. <laughs> two years ago, we were sitting there and you started telling me about this dream that you had, which was this amazing dream. Mm-hmm. And before I like take all of, of your words out of your mouth, tell us what happened from there after this dream or tell us a little bit about the dream and how you felt like God led you to this book. Sure. Okay. So really it wasn't a dream. I was fully awake. Um, I woke up at four in the morning and now, and like you said, I do enjoy writing um, and I do have a blog so it is something that I enjoy, and, and and a person that is a writer, that has a writer's heart, you know, we just, we kind of, when we see things or when we think of things in our mind, uh, we, we write them, you know. And so I woke up in the morning at 4, and I had this vision in my mind of, of a girl on a porch, and it was springtime. And in my mind, I'm writing this story, her story, and I knew her name, and it was just, it was very odd, and I, I really felt like God was... Um, 
you know, really speaking to me and, and giving me this story. And so I couldn't rest. I had to get up and I had to write it down. And as I'm typing away on my computer, you know, God is just spoon feeding me this, this story. And she falls asleep on the porch. She has a dream. She's in the woods. She's approached by a big doe. And I'm thinking, all right, where is this coming from? You know, this is crazy. And I, and I really felt God saying to me, you know, you're going to write a novel. And I felt that he was saying it's going to stem from my work with um, crisis pregnancy, with adoption, um, with girls in unplanned pregnancy situations where I've volunteered for years. And so because I do like to write, you know, I just really wanted, I've, I've never thought about writing a novel. It's never been on my radar didn't know the first thing about writing a novel. So I really wanted to make sure that this was God's calling in my life. And um, it wasn't um, just something I had was thinking, you know, on my own, that was my own calling. So I was just really praying about it and discerning and, and asking him to affirm this um, with me to so that I would be sure that it was his calling. And um, where we live now, there's a woods behind us. We have a barbed wire fence there, so there's we know there's deer back there. We see them at our neighbors sometimes, but we never have them in our yard because we have this fence. But the next morning I woke up, and there were five deer in my backyard. Mm. Like, I could touch them. They were so close. So I run and get Joel, and I'm like, uh, seriously, there's five deer in our backyard. And as we're standing there looking out, I had never said anything to him about this book or that I was writing something. And he looks out and he goes, wow, five big does. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I kind of had this just shiver go down my spine and I just knew God was affirming it. And um, it turns out as the story evolved and as I finished the book with his guidance, um, there are five women in my story. So I think those are my five does. But um, it definitely was an affirmed piece of work that God called me to do and I'm excited to see where he's going to take it. Wow. Okay. That I love stories like that. And it, you know, it just goes back to when we truly expect to see God, you know, often we just go through and we think, Oh, that was coincidence, you know, just mm -hmm. coincidence or, Oh, that just happened randomly. But when you, when you really prepare your day and you're going, okay, God show up, I expect you to show up. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> how you can see him mm -hmm. in, in so many things. Oh, for sure. Uh, okay, so we have two minutes before we go into a commercial break. What was the first thing that now you, you feel this nudge, which was bigger than a nudge. You kind of got shoved out of bed from God. Mm -hmm. uh, what was your first step? Well, I just started writing. Um I just, I just, you know, I really prayed about it and really, you know, asked God for guidance and the story was just coming to me. I just, I just was really, um, thinking about these experiences that I had. I was shaping these characters. Um, these characters are a conglomeration of women that I have met and worked with and, um, people that I know. Um, so yeah, just kind of shaping and kind of throwing it together and just doing that first rough draft would be my first step. Uh-huh. And, and as you're doing this, are you able to be present and in the moment of life? You know, often when we either you're blogging or you're writing, mm -hmm. it's really hard to, to be there at the dinner table, to be there at a, at a baseball game and not continuously 
mm-hmm. hot your head somewhere else. What what happened with that? Yeah, I, I I found myself sometimes having those moments, but you know, I have two days off a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and so I kind of in my mind knew that those were my days to really hunker down and think about this and and write the story. And I think God really guarded my time for me and really gave me good time management in that area because um, it wasn't ever ever present thought in my mind. Um, there were times that I did get up out of bed and, you know, go to my computer and put something down. But um, for the most of the, for the most part, eh, life was going on. Okay. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokinet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's words you never heard. The first official 4th of July party was held at the White House in 1801. But did you know that countries other than the U.S. celebrate American Independence Day or July 4th? Denmark, Italy, Portugal, and England all have 4th of July parties. In fact, the British celebrate their independence with bungers and fizz gigs, otherwise known as firecrackers, just like in America. Squib is slang for an electric match used in pyrotechnics. Our dog celebrates July 4th every year the same way, by cowering under the bed. Many European celebrations take place, of course, at American military bases. I'd like to send a special thanks to all our armed forces stationed around the world for everything you do to provide freedom and independence to America. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are chatting with Kim Mishler, author of A Life Rescued, A Story of Redemption, Adoption, and Hope. And Kim, we just went into the commercial break talking about the rough draft and how you're able to 
compartmentalize it, which is so nice because so often um, when we have a project going on, it can be all consuming. And the fact that you're able to to have that balance can be um, very encouraging to the listeners, especially those of you we want to encourage that have been talking about writing a book and often we don't even know where to start and it can be all consuming until you do put those thoughts down on paper. So you get the rough draft done and it just flowed from you. You were able just to, you know, write it and sit there during your days off and, and put it down. And then did it change from your rough draft? I mean, was it, does it still look the same as your outline or did it, was it a completely different book than what you had imagined? Oh my goodness changed so much. Um, so what happened along the way was, um, you know, I really prayed that God would give me people that could resonate with some of the characters and storyline in the book. Um, a lot of the things that are happening in the book are things that I don't haven't experienced personally. So, um, so he did, he put those people in my, in my path and I gave them the manuscript and, um, they were just crucial to the story, um, crucial to giving me, um, you know, tips, um, letting me know, yes, that is how it feels um, when you're in that situation. Um, or one one lady in particular totally changed uh, the way I looked at my, my main character. She's like, she's too polished. You know, you need to rough her up a bit, you know. And okay. so... Um, so that was that was just eye opening to me and so needed and um the first chapter especially um i have ch- i changed a lot so that sweet little front porch scene only has one sentence in the um <laughs> in the in the first chapter now i'm fortunate to have some really good friends who are writers um and they were very helpful in critiquing uh during the process so I had, an, I had a, a real blessing there. Yeah, isn't it nice when you have a support? Because you can feel it, it can be lonely mm-hmm. as you're writing and then you start feeling inadequate and you go, okay, this doesn't make sense because you get so in your head rather than being able to step back. And when you get those people that support you in everything in life, not just in writing that that can say, no, you, you're doing okay and can be your advocate. It changes your perspective. So that's so nice that you had someone just to, to run those thoughts by and edit what you're, what you're doing. Right. Oh, so, so great. Um, so great to have that support because like you said, it can be kind of lonely. I mean, you're writing a book. Oh, how many people write a book, you know? And so when you're thinking of it all the time, uh, it's just nice to be able to have people that you can bounce that off of and, and that can understand where you're coming from and where you've been and what's going on. And yeah, wonderful to have that encouragement. And I'm blessed to have uh, one one friend in particular who um, is, is a published author, but others that are, are writers that could just really take my work and critique it and give me very, very valid input. Well, tell us now what exactly is your book about? Give us a, a summary here of what took place. You started us out on the front porch. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> yeah. So the story is about rescue um, and, and rescue in through God's redeeming love. You know, he's that lifeline that we cling to, 
when we're drowning in our sin, our circumstances, our situations, you know, he's, he is, he's our redeemer, um, our rescuer. And so this story is about redemption and it's illustrated through an adoption story. Um, the main character in the book is in a crisis pregnancy situation. She, um, there is another gal there as well. Um, but it's so much more than the story of a rescued child. Um, it's the rescue of many lives. And a lot of people say, why did you name it a life rescued? Well, you pick, you read the story, see who you can, um, who you can relate to and you might see somebody in the story whose life was rescued in a way that you can really resonate with. Mm. And then what, what happens from, from there? So more, I'm sorry. Just tell us a little bit more, unpack it a little bit further. Okay. Okay. So it's a story of Mandy Lewis. Um, she's had a really, really rough childhood, uh, really rough time growing up. And, um, you know, she, she turns, turns to a man, um, who is not a good person and she finds herself pregnant and she has to make some really tough decisions. Um, in the meantime, she is, um, God sends her, um, people in her life that point her to him. She's never known God before. And so, um, through his redemption, she is able to make some really clear choices, um, and really good choices and loving choices. And, um, these characters that walk alongside her have also endured some pretty tough things in life. Um, and they are also, um, they're not wasting their suffering in life. They're using their suffering to help others. Um, and they really help her and she's learning so much from that. Um, and so, and so she um, has to make some tough, tough choices. But in, but in the end, um, her life also is rescued in a special way. And I don't want to give away too much because of what yeah. you read. Yeah, don't give it away. Don't give it away. <laughs> well, d- tell us a little bit because as you, as you're unpacking this, you have been such an advocate for adoption. And obviously that plays into this quite a bit. What, what's your story there on, and, and how you've been so supportive in foster care and, uh, and adoptions? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we have a great adoption story um, and a great adoption experience. We had a tough time at first because we, we were trying to adopt um, from India and we just we had some snafus along the way that didn't work out. Um, but I'm really sure that God sent us the child that he meant for us to have in our family. Um, but during that process and also during the time that I volunteered at a, um, crisis pregnancy center or pregnancy resource center is what they're called now. Um, I, I, there was a couple of things that kept coming up that kind of bothered me, um, and it's kind of one of my goals from the for the book, um, and one of the things that I want to get out there with the book. I want to. There's two myths that I'd like to dispel um, in the adoption world, and one of them is <clears throat> um, I've heard people say a lot that um, if a woman places a child for adoption, that it, that's she's selfish, and you know, there's nothing further further from the truth because adoption is a loving unselfish choice that a woman makes Mm -hmm. purely out of love for her child. And I, I can't think of 
a more unselfish act than to love a child so much that you you want to give them the best life you can, even if it means it's not with you. And so that is something I'm hoping that the book um, speaks to and that people can understand from the book. Um, another another thing, and I heard this a couple of times from uh, women that I worked with, um, whenever the idea of placing their child for adoption was was spoken of, they would say, oh, I could never do that. This is my mistake and I'm going to pay for it. And, you know, that always, that comment always bothered me because a child is not, not a punishment. Um, they are a gift. They're a miracle. So, um, I'm hoping that that's another myth that kind of gets dispelled in the book that a child is not a punishment. They're, they're a wonderful blessing. Um, life is, you know, from God and, he creates all life with purpose, and, you know, that's that's how we need to go into those. Even those pregnancies that are unplanned, um, God has a, he has a purpose for that child, and we need to, um, you know, really thank him for that and carry on with that. Mm. The, that's amazing. Those are great <laughs> two myths there. That, and so it, through your book, you're able to talk about that and to change, to have a paradigm shift on the way people think. Sure. I hope. I mean, I hope that's, I hope that comes through. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what were some other things as you going through your, your adoption story that you, I love the way you communicate what a miracle and what a blessing and what a gift it is. Because I know here in Arizona, we have 17,000 kids in uh, the foster care that, Mm -hmm. that need to have someone even even as a foster care, not even for adoption. Um, It's, I don't know, is it the same in Indiana? Mm, I think it's that way everywhere. Mm. I think it's, it's just harder for people to um, think about taking in a child who's a little bit older. Um, I think people are afraid of uh, baggage that might come with a child um, that is a little bit older who's already had some, excuse me, life experiences. Um, Yeah, I I wish I had an answer for all that. Um, You know, just like with raising your own child, raising any child comes with um, good, good and bad, you know, there's good, good times and bad times. And, uh, you know, we, you, you give birth to a child and you really don't know what you're getting. You know, you yeah. can have a child that's born with a, a terrible debilitating disease. And, um, you know, the same is true with adoption. When you adopt a child, you are adopting purely on faith, um, <clears throat> and going into it just like you would, if you were giving birth to a child, um, that you're going to take the child God's given you and you're going to love them and pray over them and, um, you know, just do life with this child. So, um, yeah, I, I wish it wasn't that way. I wish, I wish that, um, all of those kids can have a home. I wish we could give them all that home. Oh, that'd be great. I know. Well, my kids beg for, for me to do this all the time. And, and I, I tell them, well, you, you're more than welcome to go get certified and, uh, you know, go babysit. But with that, we are going to take a commercial break. And we are talking to Kim Mishler, author of A Life Rescued, A Story of Redemption, Adoption and Hope. 
This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The energy drink market is predicted to hit $10 billion. While the makers of these drinks want you to think that the energy you feel after drinking one comes from a supply of B vitamins, amino acids, and herbal extracts, the truth is the only significant proven energy boost comes from the sugar and caffeine that these drinks contain. Eat This Not That states that a 16-ounce can delivers as much as 280 calories of pure sugar, which is about 80 calories more than a 16-ounce cup of Pepsi. The sugar is not good for your health or your waistline. Getting adequate sleep, eating a healthy diet, and exercising on a regular basis are the best ways to beat fatigue. But if you need an occasional boost of energy, set aside the sugar spike of an energy drink and have a cup of coffee instead. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back. As I started out the show today, I mentioned we are going to be on an adventure today that will be better than Disneyland. And uh, what what I consider today is talking about how do we amp up our leadership skills? Basically, how are we showing up to the world? Who are we influencing? Who are we leading? And often as, as I go out and I'm traveling and I'm training and consulting, when I talk about how are you showing up to the world and who are you leading? I often hear, well, I'm not really a leader. I'm not really leading anyone. And so I just want to start there with, okay, when you wake up in the morning, who are you leading? Because you're leading yourself. And if you're not leading well with how you lead yourself, it's going to be complicated and difficult to, to truly lead others and to influence others. It kind of goes back to my my airline days where you have to put your oxygen on first before you can help others. So how are we putting our oxygen on? How are we filling up our cup to where by the time we go out, then we really are influencing in, in an amazing way. And I, I was also thinking about one time – I was, I was right out of college and I was a flight attendant 
And there was a, a guy on my flight, and this was, it was probably to New York or somewhere, because I remember thinking it was four to five hours, so it was going to be a, a long trip, this this fun journey. And the guy was ringing his call button, and as I went up to help him, he was complaining because there was a kid behind him that was kicking his seat, which I know is very annoying. And I tried to talk to the dad and the, and the child to say, hey, you know, let's not kick the seat. And you're trying to deal with it. But then he rings his call button 10 minutes later, and he's still complaining. And finally, I mentioned to him, he was about in row eight. I said, you know, you can move right behind the child in row 10. There's an aisle seat available, and that way we don't have to deal with this anymore. But he wanted to be able to get off the plane as soon as possible. That's what his focus was, was, no, I want to stay here because I'm closer to the exit. And... I look back on that time because I, I remember leaving going, okay, well, there's only so much I can do here. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I can't move, move the child because it was hard to get two seats that were together and he was traveling, or it was three seats because he was traveling with the whole family. But so often we rush through the journey of life and we're not enjoying the adventure at all. Here he was going to be on the plane for, you know, four to five hours but all he could focus on is landing and get off, getting off the plane. And often I do that. I think I wake up on Monday and think, oh, I can't wait till Friday because I need to get through X, Y, and Z. And I'm so focused for the end result that I'm not truly present. And I'm not really evaluating the experience and the challenges. And, and there are times when I could actually change the outcome if I would pause and reflect and, and, and truly be present. So getting past pointing the blame on everyone else, pointing the blame on the, on the kid behind you that's kicking your seat, and really just stopping, pausing, and reflecting, and go, what if? What would it look like if I was in the moment? And I was all about sharing these moments with others and really creating these, these memory-making events. So today I, I just want to identify some of the challenges that you might be facing. Maybe you're, you're working with a team. Maybe it's just in your family, with your spouse, with your children, with your neighbors or your friends where you're really dealing with something that you feel stuck. So what are the areas of, of the dynamic of maybe your teams or your family that need, that needs work? And then Together, let's try to unpack some of these goals that we can see not only where we want to go, but we can change the outcome of the experience. And in the meantime, have this amazing journey. We can be fully present and aware of the adventure that life has you on. And in the process, like genuinely influence others in such a way that they not only want to be with you on this adventure, but they want to be like sitting there by your side on this amazing ride. So buckle up and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Unless, of course, you are driving or you're running. I know some of you listeners, you're, you talk about going and hiking and walking. So obviously, just put your thinking cap on and don't close your eyes. I'm going to ask you, ask you just a few questions. What weaknesses are you dealing with right now that contribute to your biggest mistakes? Is there something there that you just go, man, and maybe it's just you can't get out of your head. 
it's your your feelings of inadequacy that you you just can't get beyond that. You think you're going to fail at something or you're not even willing to try. Just like our last uh, guest that Kim talked about, it was only two years ago when she felt like this this dream of this book and she just started putting it down, put, making an outline. So maybe it's just creating that outline, journaling a few things of what are some of the weaknesses that you feel like I just can't get beyond this? Then do people communicate openly with you? Are you able to surround yourself with a great like support group? Do you have people that are breathing into you? And if you don't, what would that look like to make sure that you are joining a group. Maybe it's getting involved in a life group. Maybe it's just talking to your neighbor, talking to someone that you feel like you have a connection with. Uh, if you're, if we're talking about a team or maybe you're, you're doing ministry, maybe you're volunteering, is the morale good? Do people feel appreciated? The people that you're hanging out with, whatever team you're working with, do you feel like they feel valued? And what stands in the way of, you all working together well? Like, is it well in your soul when you see this person or when you have to be in a meeting with them or you see them coming down the hallway, you see them coming down the street? Is there uh, the physiological reaction or things you feel like, yeah, we, we are good to go? So as you're thinking about some of those, those questions, you know, now you can open up your, your eyes and think about where where am I stuck? Where am I stuck at home? Where am I stuck with my, my leadership abilities? Uh, what happens when we plateau? Because when we start plateauing, we wake up and we push the snooze button. We don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to, to go throughout our day. And instead, we should be going, okay, God, I want to launch myself out of bed. I want to be so excited about this day. I don't want it to be Groundhog Day. I don't want it to be in this place where I, I just feel stuck. I truly want to grow because healthy things grow. And in, in Jim Collins' last book, Great by Choice, he talks about productive paranoia. And productive paranoia is a concept that we can learn by our mistakes and you're not just in that survival mode where you're wanting to push the snooze button, but you really are navigating through the turbulence and you are expecting the unexpected. So when things are changing violently and fast, you are in this place where you can obsessively ask, what if? By preparing ahead of time. So now you're not just thrown into this turbulent situation. You're able to handle the disrupt the disruptions with a, a position of strength and flexibility. And you actually are in this place of being like rationally optimistic. So what does that look like when you're just relentlessly positive? Um, when things are not going well you're able to change it. You're able to be that 2% of the social norms that are actually lifting people up and giving them that, that positive insight. Because often it's the leader's behavior that will get the team through it. And just like for, for those of you out there, you're, you're the mom in the, in the house, the wife, that 
friend that you're the one that sets the tone. We set the tone in the house. We set the tone when our kids are are going off to school. We truly are the ones that are managing how others, I mean, we can't change their behavior, but we can change how we respond to them, which usually the outcome of that is that we are changing the behavior of how they're showing up in the world. And often we don't even realize the impact that we have. So having that that healthy dose of being relentlessly positive, what does that look like? And when we hear relentlessly positive, we think we have to go around and be the cheerleader. Like we're always in that state of woohoo and cheering everyone on. But in reality, what that looks like is being solution focused. So in other words, when we have someone, uh, I don't know, negative Nelly or, or the person that's, you know, Eeyore that's walking around, oh, I've got to get through the day. Oh, I just need my coffee. You're not the one like, yeehaw, let's have a good day. You're, you're just changing the tone by the questions you ask, by, by being concerned, by valuing others, by breathing into people rather than sucking the life out of them by the words that that you say. So I'm going to give an example here of a situation where I just dealt with um, in a, in a coaching situation where uh, the, the guy was talking about, uh, I'm going to say his, his name is Joe. So Joe is the leader here and Fred comes along and is talking about Joe, the new, the new leader. And he can't believe, Fred just can't believe that Joe is changing up the teams again. And as soon as we start getting a rhythm in place, Joe comes along, has to be the big hero, and creates a new system. So what would your response be? Because it's easy to have your response because it's a connection thing. We can bond with someone. And deep down, we probably do feel like, are you kidding me? We have another leader. And sure enough, I finally got my old system figured out here on this team. And now I have to change things. So think about what your response would be when someone comes along and they're complaining about the new leader. Once again, we either agree, agree. We choose to agree with them or we can change that. And we're going to go on a commercial break real quick. I want you to think about your response. And when we come back, we're going to play this one out. So we will be right back after these messages. This is Girlfriend on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. 
That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's Merging Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are back with Patty Wyatt. That's me. And we are talking about how are you choosing to show up to the world and where are you influencing others with how you are leading? And we were in a scenario of Fred was complaining about his new leader, Joe, and how it's so frustrating. Every time you get a new leader, they need to come in with their fresh ideas. And Fred has a perspective that every new leader just wants to be a hero and come in and change things up. And it's not broken. So how are we going to respond to Fred when he's complaining about Joe, our new leader? And the, these tips are not only just as you're working in your ministry teams or working at, at work it, with, with anyone, but also in how you're showing up with your kids and at home. How we respond to others really does make a difference. And we want to talk about this healthy, productive, paranoia state of what if. And what if Joe has some great and powerful ideas? So as you respond to Fred, once again, we can agree with Fred and go, yeah, this is crazy. There's nothing broken. I agree. This is going to be a pain. Now we have all these new changes. Or we can say, do you really think Joe wants to sabotage the department? He did have some great insights, and I actually appreciated the way he brainstormed with us and wanted our opinions. He didn't necessarily tell us what to do. He listened. He had us make up you know, some of our changes, of, of our ideas. And actually, Fred, you had some specific insights that I thought were brilliant. I think we are heading down a great path. What were your thoughts when he had us brainstorm? So when we answer this way to Fred and we change the tone and the direction of, of where we were going and the path we were going down, a few things take place here. When we are rationally optimistic, we build each other up and 
we also change the way that they see our response. So instead of us being the negative, gossipy person, which then Fred projects that on us, instead we're, we're changing and we're creating the conversation, which also helps Fred and builds him up because of the way we responded with, I really liked your insights. I thought they were brilliant. It builds up his self-esteem. When we are in kindergarten, 90% of us have a high self-esteem. Then we go into junior high and it goes down to 50%. By the time we get out of high school, only 25% of us have a high self-esteem. So that is saying only one out of every four adults, by the time we go into our careers, go into the workplace, have a high self-esteem. So we're operating out of insecurities, out of feeling inadequate. When we feel inadequate, it's easy to hurt people and especially to bring down our leaders and the people that are leading our teams. So what would it look like if instead of hurting people, because hurting people hurt people, if we actually thought, you know what, I'm going to change this. I'm going to turn around my conversations and not be so negative. And I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, we've said this often, this quote of people will forget what you say, they will forget what you do, but they will never forget how you make them feel. And yet we forget that. And we forget the impact that we're having on others and how we make them feel. Even our own kids, when they're walking out the door to start their day and how they're showing up to the world, how are we making them feel by the time they, you know, their boots are on the ground? So see their potential, give them that 10 and really inspire them for, for their day. Uh, start asking uh, open-ended questions. It shows you respect them and you want to hear their thoughts. Uh, we've said this before as well. People don't leave organizations. They leave people. So when they feel valued, when they feel heard, they feel included, then they're excited about getting up in the morning. They don't push snooze because they launch out of bed going, you know what? The people I surround myself with, they really do want to hear what I have to say. They really are going to take my ideas and we're going to move forward with them because everyone's being relentlessly positive with things that I'm talking about. The third thing, when we genuinely share our feelings like we did with Fred and we just let him know, you know what? I really actually like the way he ran the meeting. I like the way he brainstormed. I liked your ideas, Fred, when you were sharing that as you're building up their self-esteem. And when we become transparent, we create a place of trust and it builds the relationship. And it, it truly does help them want to be there, want to be a part of the team. And you're creating a dream team. We could have agreed and changed the direction of the, of the conversation um, just by sharing our feelings. And, and once again, it only takes 2% of the team to change the morale. So when we change the conversation, we literally are changing the culture. If we agreed and turned that conversation into a whining, binging, gossiping session, not only does it bring down the morale, when we talk negative, it, it once again, it projects those negative comments onto who we are and how people see us. This works with our children, our spouse, our friends. It's easy to get stuck in life and find that connection because pain does bond people. 
And then what happens is we're not well with our soul. We wake up in just this weird place because it doesn't really set in with our values. We know we shouldn't be talking this way. And yet for some reason it feels so good. We just keep going down this negative path. And all of a sudden your conversations, you realize you're connecting with people all through negativity. So push the pause button right now and just kind of take a second and reflect on your conversations. The last conversation you had, were you throwing somebody under the bus? Maybe it was even to your spouse throwing your kids under the bus. I don't understand why they did this. I don't understand why they think this way. I don't understand, you know, why they can't clean their room. I know for me, my daughter has a ferret and... I'm I'm tired of the way this like ferret has this wild smell every time I walk by the hallway. Her her room is shut. The door is shut. And so I finally get to the point where I'm texting her saying, if your room isn't clean by 2 p.m., I will take all your devices. It stinks. I'm done. You know, I've had it. And after I, I did my little ranting and raving, even though I know better, I heard my husband when she walked in the door. Um, literally asked her, hey, what time do you think you'll be able to get your room cleaned? Uh, Do you want me to go to Petco with you and buy some of that paper to put under the cage because it helps with the smell, it works like a deodorant? You know, what are your thoughts? (laughs) I thought, okay, wait, hello. I'm the one that's consulting. I'm the one that coaches people (laughs) on doing exactly what he just did. And I was so willing to suck the life out of her instead of breathing life into her, asking open-ended questions, letting her have control, and then listening, listening to what her thoughts are, listening to, hey, how can I help you in this situation rather than just giving her that ultimatum? And so often we do this. We can do it in our teams, where we work, where we volunteer, in our organizations, but then our nastiest comes out when we're dealing with the people that we that we love. So once again, it's easy to get stuck in life and not be well with our soul. So push that pause button, reflect on your conversations and look at how you're responding to people. How you sh- how are you showing up? Are you in this negative mode? Are you ready to change the culture? Are you ready to be that 2% and change the conversations and be relentlessly positive? Craig Cruschel has a quote that I, I love. The difference between a good leader and a great leader is one who learns to anticipate rather than react. And right now is that place of anticipation because if we're thinking things through, if we're putting a plan together, then when that situation arises, we can react in a better way. As soon as we feel the physiological, we feel, you know, it's not well with our soul. All of a sudden, um, you feel that anger or you just, you're looking at someone going, I, I can't believe that that's coming out of your mouth. Then push the pause if it means stop and, and take that breath. I know one tip I heard was the 444 where you breathe in for four, as you breathe in, count. Then you hold your breath for four seconds. One, two, three, four. Then you exhale for four. 
one, two, three, four. That gives you time for the, the blood that's rushing to your large muscles because it's ready to fight and flight to actually get to your brain. And then you can think things through before you react. And there's also three things. I believe that this comes from John Maxwell. Three things that you can do to truly be a great leader is if you look around the people around you, do you make them feel valued? And what that means is, do they feel like you like them? Are there times even with your own kids where they look at you and go, you don't even like me. I'm just a big, huge disappointment to you. I don't feel that you value me. And it shuts them down. The second thing, are you inspiring others? And what that looks like, do you truly want what's best for them? So are you inspiring those around you on your team? Are you saying things that they know, hey, she has my back? Do your kids feel that way, that you truly have their back? Or are you just continuously letting them know what a horrible job that they're doing? And the third thing is, do you empower others? And with that one, are you wanting them to be successful? Not only in your organization, but are you asking them open-ended questions to find out where do they want to be in life? Where do they see that their strengths are that maybe it's not in that organization, maybe it's somewhere else that they need to be empowered. So with that, just in summary, let's go back on this amazing journey that I, I promised you it was going to be better than Disneyland. Well, actually, I didn't promise. I just said we're going to be on an adventure today that that might be better than Disneyland. Well, maybe I did say it's going to be better than Disneyland. So I hope it was. I hope you had a time to pause and reflect and amp up your leadership skills and you're able to look at yourself and go, I am going to show up to the world and influence others in an amazing way. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show.